So we'll be out of Matthew 28 to start off, and pretty much we're going to be going through the book of Matthew. So make sure you keep your finger in your Bible in Matthew, because we'll be going out of Matthew to find out what a disciple is. As Pastor Ron talked about and spelled out what a disciple is through DDE, we're going to find out what our Lord has to say about what it means to be his disciple. So last week we talked about how Jesus has all authority at the cosmic level, at the global church level, at the local church level here at Evergreen SGV, and then down to the microscopic level over every single hearts of every single disciple. He has all authority. And today we're going to focus in on what it means to be a disciple. So if you're able to, please rise. We do this to honor the Lord and we have this great treasure in the Bible. We have God's word. And so we're going to be out of Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. God's word says this. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, that's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Here's the good news. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for this word. I pray, Lord, that we will be clear what it means to be a disciple of Christ. But I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would allow us to understand what you're saying and that we will treasure your son more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. We're going to focus in on what it means to disciple, and as we talk about the Great Commission, it's important that we understand what a disciple is. One is for ourselves. Do we know that we're true disciples of Jesus Christ? That's one. And two, how do we know how to make disciples if we don't know what one is? So we need to be clear on what a disciple is. This past week, the Lord blessed us, my family and I, as we just vacationed for a few days in San Clemente. So we spent a lot of time on the beach, and I discovered something that we, which we don't have at our home. The home that we rented out had Netflix. <laughs> so we discovered what Netflix was, and yeah, there's some crazy things in there, but we discovered some good things on Netflix, and we came upon a documentary called American Gospel, Christ Alone. And so this is a documentary talking about how the gospel has been proclaimed in America, in our country, and how a distorted gospel has been proclaimed. And in essence, the, the gospel has been infused with the American dream where man is at the center of the gospel. In essence, how we're able to invite Jesus into our kingdom. We're able to invite Jesus to fulfill our dreams and our desires. Where Jesus is there to fulfill us. And is that the gospel? This is what the American gospel was talking about. It was, it was warning us about, do we have a false gospel in America? And there's so many people who are deceived on what a disciple is. If we don't understand the gospel, we do not understand what discipleship is about, what a disciple is. So the question and the topic today is, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? In the original language, disciple simply meant learner or student. Follower. Here's an illustration. 
In my 16 years with Coach Carroll, I became a disciple of Pete Carroll in, in the coaching world. I mean, I studied him. I watched him. I took notes of what he said. I was corrected by him. I hung out with him a lot. So I started to talk like him. I started to act like him. I started to even emphasize the same principles that he did as a coach. So he discipled me. I was a disciple of Pete Carroll. And if anyone wanted to hire me, they knew they'd, they'd get a carbon copy of Pete Carroll, maybe a, a poor man's version of Pete Carroll, but they'd get somebody like him. I was a disciple of Pete Carroll as a coach. So today we're talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? As Christians, we're all called to be disciples. A disciple is synonymous with Christian. There's no two levels of Christians. Like, uh, I'm a Christian, and then when I get more serious about Christ, I become a disciple. That's wrong. That's false. A disciple is a Christian. All right? One and the same. And so to do that, we're going to look at the book of Matthew. So Matthew is where we're going to camp out on. And we really got three major passages one passage where he, Jesus starts off his ministry, his public ministry, and he calls his first disciples, the brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And then the second scene where Jesus prepares his disciples to be deployed, to be sent out on a mission, kind of a precursor to the Great Commission. And he tells them what a disciple is. And third, Jesus has an encounter with a seeking person. So to start off, we'll be at a Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Just follow along. We'll be, like I said, we'll be in three major sections of Matthew to learn what it means to be a disciple. Matthew 14, 17 is where we're going to start out. Jesus starts off his public ministry. He's been, he's been baptized by John the Baptist. He spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Satan never had a chance. And now Jesus is beginning his public ministry. Let's read verse uh, 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 Matthew 4, 17. From that time, from that time, after, after being baptized, after being tempted, now he starts his ministry. Jesus began to preach, to proclaim, to herald, to announce and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So point number one, true disciples of Jesus Christ say that Jesus is my king. Jesus was a preacher. He started off as a preacher, and this is what I get to do. I get to preach his word, and Jesus was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew, uh, Mark uh, chapter 1, 14 and 15 says that Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus began preaching the gospel. So when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is basically Jesus is saying, repent which means stop following your old king and turn and follow me as your king. Jesus is saying the good news is here. I am here. The king is here. So what Jesus is basically proclaiming is that the king is here and that's good news. Euangelion is the word in the Greek for gospel and it simply means good news. And Dr. Michael Horton, professor of seminary in Westminster, gives us a picture of what that word was like. That word was like a herald or a runner running from the battlefields and announcing to the people, good news, good news. We have had victory on the battlefield. 
Good news. We don't have to be conquered. Good news. We can still follow our king. Good news. We don't have to be slaves to another empire. Good news. So Jesus is basically saying, good news. The king is here. You no longer have to follow Satan anymore. I've defeated Satan. I've been victorious over Satan. You don't have to live for this world anymore. So Jesus is heralding and preaching, repent. You don't have to follow Satan anymore. You don't have to live for this world anymore. You can follow me. Change your mind. Have a radical change of mind. Repent from following these things. And there's only two kingdoms, right, brothers and sisters? I'm a simple man. I like to keep things simple. There's only two kingdoms. First kingdom is the kingdom of the world ruled by Satan. And, and anything, anything that we do to follow the world, is, we're in essence following Satan. Jesus calls Satan the prince of the world. Paul calls Satan the god of the world. So whenever we're living under the world system for the world, meaning our gold is of the world, our esteem is found in the world, we go after the beat of the drum of the world, we're following after Satan as our king. The second kingdom that exists is the kingdom of heaven, ruled by Jesus, King Jesus. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Bible says. And he is victorious. He's basically, last week we found out that Jesus has used Satan as a footstool. He's defeated Satan. Jesus is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the gospel starts with God. Jesus is the good news. The fact that Jesus is king is good news. The gospel is about Jesus. So all disciples of Christ know that Jesus is the king of our lives. Point number one. Now point number two, we just got to go right down to the next verse, verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4. Now he encounters his first disciples by the sea. And Matthew 4, 18 reads, Now as Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. There's an invitation. Jesus has come after me. Follow me, and I'm going to give you a new purpose. No longer will you just be simply catching fish. You'll be fishing for men, fishing for souls to be entered, brought into the kingdom of heaven. Immediately, this is the response, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. John, who wrote the gospel, John, in the boat with Zebedee, their father mending their nets or fixing their nets, and he called them also. He, he gives them an invitation in verse 22. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Point number two, disciples say that Jesus is my calling. Jesus calls and gives us a new purpose. We no longer live for fishing anymore. Whatever our fishing was, whatever gave us our identity, our esteem, Jesus gives us a new identity. Bible says that these four brothers, two sets of brothers, 
They left their nets. They left their boats. They left their father. They left everything to follow Jesus. These things, the nets and the boats, identified what they did for a living. This is what they gave them esteem. They gave them purpose. This is how they earned their living. And then James and John left their father. So in that sense, Jesus is asking us, leave your old identity behind and follow me as your new identity. I'm calling you to follow me. I was on the beach with my family this week and uh, ran across a very kind man. His name is Mike. And Mike was such a kind man and he collected a bunch of shells and had it in the bag and, and he wanted to bless our children so he gave us a bag of shells. You know, there's a lot of shells on this uh, kind of pretty private beach that we got to be in and I was grateful. And I was like, man, I, just, I was really touched by his kindness to us and I just, you know, I just had a thought. I just said, hey, Mike, are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And he turned around and goes, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You know, it's good to believe in something, right? So I was like, okay. And then so uh, there was a moment in that time where do I just let it go right there? All right, have you been in that situation where not quite affirming of faith in Christ as Lord by his response, do I just leave it there? But I just felt led to say, you know what? Mike, that's good that you believe in Jesus and, and how he came to save you and your, of your sins. But listen, the Bible says that you need to follow him as your Lord, as your God. And so as, as we talked, I just had, had a compassion for him, a love for Mike. And he was gracious. He listened and eventually walked away. But how many of us in America see the gospel as that? Jesus is just here to save me and forgive me my sins. And that's where the message ends of the gospel. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message says that Jesus is the king of our lives, where we enter into his kingdom. Jesus doesn't come to serve us to enter into our kingdom. Where Jesus is Lord. So disciples of Jesus understand that Jesus has called us to follow him. He is our calling. We follow him. He doesn't follow us. Let's go to uh, the next point. Point number three is going to be found out of Matthew 10. So turn to the right a few pages, Matthew 10. And we're going to be at verse 34. This scene is basically Jesus preparing his disciples, the 12 disciples, to be sent out and to do ministry. Jesus gives them authority to heal and uh, sick people, cast out demons, raise people from the dead to authenticate their apostleship. And so Jesus is preparing them to preach the gospel. Now, before he sends them out, he gives them an expectation, clarifies what it means to be a disciple. So we're going to be at a verse 34 here. Read with me. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his, her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Verse 37. He gets right to the issue of what this is all about. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Point number three. A disciple says that Jesus is my first love. Jesus is my first love. He, he says, do not think. 
Basically, our Lord says, forget about what you thought before, and I'm going to reshape what it means to be a disciple. Push reset on what you've been taught, and this is what it means to be a disciple. He says that I did not come to bring peace. How many of us have been told, hey, if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be smooth. You're never going to have any problems. All your worries are going to be taken away. How many of us have been told that? But as you realize, as you're walking with the Lord, life is getting harder. Life is getting hard. I thought that Jesus, I thought Jesus was the Prince of Peace. But Jesus says, I come to bring a sword. What does this mean? This means that there's going to be conflict. Following Jesus means that there will be conflict with you and other relationships that you have. That means that there will will be turmoil, there will be division. Have you experienced division at work? Have you experienced division at school? Have you been talked about in a weird way because you believe in certain truths of the Bibles that the school doesn't teach, such as creation in seven literal days, six literal days? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced conflict between friends because you're a Christian now and you don't affirm what they're about now? There's going to be conflict. And Jesus gets even deeper in verse 35. He gets into some sacred space. He gets into some very sacred space. He goes, the sword will also be brought into the home. Verse 35, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. What? This is, God was going for the jugular right here. Up in that trip to Israel, we, we visited a town called Capernaum. And Capernaum is Peter's hometown. And one of the highlights of this, uh, this site is to see Peter's home. There's a synagogue there, and, uh, or remains of a synagogue, and this is Peter's home. Peter's home, and they even built like a sanctuary on top of it, but underneath it, you can see the remains of Peter's home. And Peter's home is where Peter's mother-in-law lived. Peter took care of his mother-in-law. Jesus comes and heals his mother-in-law who lived with him. So why is this important? Well, family is sacred in the Middle East. Many Asian families understand this. Many Hispanic families understand this. Where generations live together. Where you have maybe grandparents, parents, and grandchildren living under the same roof. This is just the way of life in the Middle East. So for when Jesus says that I came to bring a sword even into the home, that was like putting a... The standard at a higher level, like, whoa, Jesus, you went to, the, to some sacred space. Are you telling me that I'm going to have conflict in my own home with the people that I love the most? Certainly. Remember, Christianity was just starting out. When, they, when, when, when Peter became a Christian, doesn't mean that all his family members became Christians too. There have been divisions. As a family, we generally move in the same trajectory. But as soon as you become a Christian, boom, you're, you're heading off in a different direction. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be division. And so our Lord, in verse 37, gets to what the heart of the matter is. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Love is the issue. So point number three, Jesus is my first love. Disciples say that, that Jesus is my first love. Look at this. These are some hard words. 
Jesus, our Lord, in essence, is saying this. If you love your family more than me, you're not a true disciple. Parents, moms and dads, I have four children. I love my children. Jesus is saying, if you love your children more than me, you're not a true disciple. Children, if you're looking to please your parents more than Jesus, Jesus is saying, you're not a true disciple. And in Luke 14, 26, he even goes, the wording that Luke uses that you must hate your family in comparison to your love for Christ to be a true disciple. He goes on to say you have to hate your family in comparison to your love to Christ. You must hate yourselves in comparison for your love to Christ. How uh, uh, contrary is that the message that we're taught today where we're taught to love ourselves, to esteem ourselves. Jesus says to hate ourselves in comparison to how much we love him. Wow. As he said, you're not worthy of me. Jesus is demanding first place in our hearts. Jesus is requiring supreme loyalty. So let me just say it again and temper this words just so we understand what our Lord is saying. Jesus says, if you're absolutely okay with loving your family more, then you're not his disciple. In no unclear terms. That's what this means. The plain reading of the text is what it means. You're not worthy of him. Now, just understand this. Just like loving your family more than God is a temptation and a sin, we all have tension in our lives. Amen? I know I do, but we have the Holy Spirit living with us who generates that tension though fight the fight just don't be okay with it do not just say well you know what god this is an acceptable sin you'll understand no he doesn't he will not understand he does not understand the bible says so as we're living out our christian lives keep repenting of that if you do love your family so much that it rivals your love for christ keep repenting Keep repenting. Keep the tension on. Disciples, true disciples, love Jesus the most. That's how it is. Jesus requires us to love him the most. And he talks about love because what he's going to call us to do next in verse 38 and 39 is going to require deep, deep, deep love. So Jesus gets even deeper with, as he commissions the 12 disciples here. Let's look at Matthew 10, 38 and 39. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Point number four, disciples say that Jesus is my life. Jesus is my life. What does it mean to pick up your cross? The cross represented death. Jesus picked up his cross And where did it end up with him? He ended up being killed. This is what it means. Jesus is talking to us about dying. Discipleship is a call to death. This is is what our Lord calls us to do, to pick up our cross and to follow him. And what does it mean to die? Well, it could literally mean that we physically die. Brothers and sisters around the world Know this reality where confessing Christ as Lord and Savior could cost them their lives. There are people who are being killed annually, daily. Christians, because they believe in Christ. In America, that probably won't happen. But things are tightening up. 
It's not as popular to be a Christian these days. Amen? We all feel it. We feel it in the media. We feel in the trajectory of the government and the, and the laws that are being passed. It's getting less and less popular to be a Christian. Picking up your cross also means denying ourselves daily. That means that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord, meaning we don't put our priorities as a ruling guide in our lives, but now we follow Jesus as our Lord. We put Jesus first. We follow him. And following Jesus is marked by extreme suffering and humiliation. Now, by God's grace, we'll be able to be faithful to the end, even if it means dying for him. But let's just start where we're at right now. Are we willing to give up certain things of this world to follow the Lord even closer? Are there things in our lives that keep us from following Jesus as closely as we want? Are there things like that? Jesus says to cut off your arm if it causes you to sin and gouge out your eye if it causes you to sin. Are there things, obviously he's not calling us to cut our arms off, or otherwise we'd all be crippled or all of us would be blind, walking around blind. But what the Lord is calling us to do is get rid of things in our lives that keep us from being as intimate with him. Let's start there. Let's start there, because if we're not willing to give our electronics up, if we're not willing to give our, our finances up, if we're not giving, willing to give up certain relationships in our life for him, there's a good chance we're not going to lay down our lives for him. Take, pick up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. And this is, if you're not willing to do that, you're not worthy of him. If you're not willing to die for him, you're not worthy. doesn't mean you're going to die, but are you willing to die for him? Right? That's what this is saying. Jesus knows the heart. Jesus knows the heart. So if you're, this is, so if you're basically saying, no, I'm not willing to die. I'm not willing to suffer for him. Jesus says you're not a true disciple. Okay? Verse 39, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Right? Well, basically, this is what our Lord is talking about is don't live for this world. Don't live for the gold of this world. Don't live for the affirmation of this world. Give those things up, and then you will find your life in the, in the kingdom of heaven forever. So it's a paradox. You lose to win, our Lord is saying. Give up today so that you can have eternity with our Lord. To be with Jesus is heaven. We're going back to the gospel. What does it mean? What does the gospel mean? Jesus is the good news. To be with him in heaven forever, that is the good news, brothers and sisters. So our Lord is making expectations very clear what it means to be a disciple. Luke 14 basically says count the costs. We need to understand what it means to be a disciple, for, for one, so that we know that we're a true disciple. And two, as we're called to participate in the Great Commission, we know what we're looking to produce. We know the message that we need to give. So disciples know that Jesus is our life. Jesus knows is, is, our, is our life. Now we're going to transition to Matthew 19 here. Turn with me to Matthew 19, a few pages to the right. And this is a story of the rich young ruler. And I believe this kind of encapsulates what it means to be a disciple here. The rich young ruler. 
Matthew 19, 16 talks about the rich young ruler. Who was the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler, many commentators believe, since he was young, he was less than 40 years old, so that wouldn't be me. All right. He was prominent. All right. Because he was wealthy. He was rich. He had a lot of possessions, the Bible says. And he was a ruler. He was a, perhaps a member of the religious ruling group called the Sanhedrin, or maybe the ruler of a local synagogue. Okay? And he was high, highly esteemed. He had a high reputation. His reputation was good. So dads, for those of us who have daughters, this is someone that you would want your daughters to marry. This guy had it all. This guy had it all together. He was young, he was rich, and he had power. This is the rich young ruler. In Matthew 19, 16, he asked a very critical question, probably the most critical question any of us need to ask. So Matthew 19, 16 says this, And someone, that's the rich young ruler, came to him, that's Jesus, and said, Teacher, Rabbi, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? How can I get to heaven? He's asking Jesus. This is a critical question. How can I be saved? When I die, how do I know that I'm going to heaven? We all should wonder this, right? As Christians, we don't have to wonder it because we know it's through Jesus Christ. And he says, what good thing shall I do? This is a self-made man. He goes, what do I need to do? He's a very confident, self-assured person. He says, what do I need to do that's good to obtain heaven? And this is Jesus' response. Jesus responds to him by basically saying, only God is good. Only God is good. And, and by living like God, you will go to heaven. And, and, and by living God's perfect standards, can you go to heaven? So basically, he says, you need to keep his holy commandments. You need to live like God. And these are the commandments that our Lord chooses that are verse 18. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So our Lord picks out five of the Ten Commandments that deal with how we love and care for one another. He encapsulates that with the second part of the great command, the greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is basing, have you been loving people perfectly, rich young ruler? Right? In that, in that sense, as First John talks about, if, if we could love man who we see, then we could love God who, could we, who we cannot see. So basically, our Lord is saying, how can you say you love God who you've never seen when you can't love people well when you could see them right in front of you? And what did our rich young ruler say? Check. I've kept them. <laughs> he goes, I'm good. So in essence, he puts himself at the level of God, says, I'm good, I married heaven, right? But he knew something was missing because he asked in verse 20, what am I still lacking? What else do I need to do? He knew he was empty. He knew his good works wasn't good enough. He goes, I've never murdered anyone. I've never committed adultery. I've honored my father and mother. I've loved people well. I've never lied. Maybe up until that point, he never lied. But he, he said, I've kept all these things, but there's something else that's missing. And in Mark 10, 21, 
a parallel passage uh, to this situation. The Bible says that Jesus felt a love for him. As he looked at this man, he felt this love for him. It's just like at, this, at the beach, as Mike talked to me, as he looked, about, turn, looked about, uh, about to turn and walk away from me, I felt this compassion for this man. This is a kind man. He's a good man, looks like. But he needs to hear the gospel. The Lord loves him so much that he goes after him. Matthew 19, 21 Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete or perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. See, Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew what owned him. This man's wealth owned him. He did not own his wealth. Rather, his wealth owned him. Jesus loved them enough to challenge his idol. He loved them enough to challenge his idol. He gives them an invitation. Come, follow me. Be one of my disciples like these other guys here, like these other 12. Come, be my personal disciple. You can hang out with me. Well, how does he respond? Let's look at verse um, 22. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. Why? For he was one who owned much property. He was rich. So the fifth and final point, disciples say that Jesus is my treasure. This rich young ruler had a different type of treasure. He treasured his wealth more than Jesus. And what did it say? As he was invited personally by the Lord, come, follow me, be my disciple. What, how did this man respond? The Bible says he went away grieving. He went, he went away sad. He abandoned this invitation that the Lord gave him. Come, be my disciple. He left sad because he was rich. And his money owned him. His money defined him. His money gave him value and esteem and worth. And he couldn't give it up. This man loved his money more than God. And this is a very sad response because he was able to keep every single shekel, I guess, every single cent that he owned. And he walked away from the greatest treasure of all. He was looking at the greatest treasure in the face, eyeball to eyeball, with a straight face. He just says no and walks away sad. So he came looking for eternal life. He asked all the right questions. He did all the right things. But when it came down to it, he walked away from it. He didn't want the Lord. And if he didn't repent, brothers and sisters, he would die with all his money and spend eternity in hell forever. We, we don't know what happened to him other than this account. Hopefully he repents and he becomes a true disciple. Now I want to just spend a few last few minutes applying what we're learning here. 
I have a feeling as you're sitting in your home right now that you may be thinking, man, this is convicting, right? Maybe you're thinking, man, we, Rocky's right. We do live in America. There's been so much that we've been given. I mean, I got a great job. I've been able to go to the finest university. I got a great wife, great kids. I got a good reputation at church and at work. And you may be thinking, man, do I love these things more than the Lord? Right? You may be thinking, this is a convicting message. You may be thinking, man, Rocky, that was a great message. It's really convicting me right now. You may be thinking that right now. But my encouragement, with all the love that I have, is this. Do not walk away sad like the rich young ruler. Do not walk away from eternal life like the rich young ruler, sad and grieving. Do not say that, you know what, I do love my money more. Do not walk away sad saying, you know what, I do care about education more than Christ. Do not walk away sad thinking, actually, I do love my family, my children more than Christ. Do not walk away sad and grieving thinking, you know, I care more about my reputation than about Christ. Do not be like the rich young ruler. This is a very much a strong warning from our Lord not to walk away sad. Don't just say, ooh, that was convicting. Turn off, the, turn off the internet and then you just go on with your life as normal. Do not be the rich young ruler. Do not do that. Don't be like the rich young ruler, sad and just walking away. So we start off the sermon asking this question, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? A disciple is a Christian, basically. He's a true believer in Jesus Christ. And disciples are characterized by this. Disciples say that Jesus is my king. He rules me. I'm part of his kingdom. Disciples say that Jesus is my calling. He's called me, and he gives me my purpose in life. Disciples say that Jesus is my life. I live for him now. I don't live for myself or this world. True disciples say that Jesus is my first love. I love him more than anyone or anything this world has to offer. And true disciples say that Jesus is the greatest treasure of my life. These are marks of a true disciple. Now, if you're like me, brothers and sisters, you may be thinking, man, I don't follow Jesus perfectly. I don't love Jesus perfectly. There are competing things in my life that capture my attention. And these things don't really necessarily characterize me. Well, I got good news for you. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm about good news, okay? We're not going to leave you with a young... Uh, rich young ruler. We're going to leave you with Jesus' words here. Let's go to the same place, Matthew 19, and follow with me, verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard. Again, I say to you, it's, it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Basically, when we be given so much in this world, we start feeling comfortable where we live. That is the warning for Americans. 
Life can be so good that we don't long for the kingdom of heaven and eternity with our Lord someday. And look at what the disciples say in verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished. They were shocked. Like, what? What, Lord? And said, then who can be saved? If this guy can't be saved, he is the role model of what it means to be a faithful Jew. Then who could be saved? They're shocked. Like, there's no way. If that guy can't be saved, there's no way I could be saved. Well, here's the good news, brothers and sisters. Verse 26, and looking at them. I know there's a profound love in Jesus' eyes for his disciples. Looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. You're right. There's absolutely nothing that you could do to merit God's favor. There's nothing you could do to, do to earn heaven. There's nothing. Because you're right. You're right. Here's the good news. But with God, but with God, but with God, all things are possible. So as you're sitting there right now, perhaps you're saying, man, am I a true disciple? Here's the good news. Repent. Repent. God, give me a greater love for your son, Jesus Christ. God, give me a greater priority for who your son is. Help me to follow him more. I know I don't follow him the way I should. The way I'm called to. God, Father, help me to treasure Jesus as the greatest treasure of my life. We simply go from grieving to repenting. With the gospel, we can repent at all times and come to our Lord. He will get it done. Genuine repentance leads to joy. With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Jesus, we thank you that you are the gospel. Jesus, I thank you that we could repent to you and you will make all things good. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that you would die to pay for our sins and you allow us to come to you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for those listening and watching right now that they are realizing right now they are not true disciples. Father, I I pray that they will simply repent and surrender their lives to you, Lord as the God of their lives, as the Lord of their lives, as the love of their lives, as the treasure of their lives. Lord, I pray they would do this right now. And Father, I pray for the true disciples who are listening right now, that they would be encouraged, and that although we do not follow you perfectly, that we could always repent. For it's impossible by our own might, you say, but with God all things are possible. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will create a cultural discipleship here at Evergreen SGV. Please do this. Jesus said, you say that you will build your church. Lord, I pray you are doing this here at Evergreen SGV, Lord, where people 
are growing as disciples. People who thought they were disciples and are not are coming to become true disciples. Lord, would you do this? Would you do this amazing miracle, Lord, where you have discipleship truly being the central theme of Evergreen SGV? So, Lord, I thank you for this word through Matthew on what it means to be a disciple. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.